Friends, today we're continuing in our series uh, through the Gospel of Luke, and it's called Jesus in Plain Sight. Jesus in Plain Sight. And it's true that many of the people during Jesus' life and ministry, many of the people around him did not recognize him for who he truly was. It was only after seeing him teach or do miracles or even raise the dead that they began to understand this is just not an ordinary man. This is not just a prophet. This is the Son of God. And we want to see that today as we go through. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17 today. Today's message is called Power to Raise the Dead. And I have a question for you as we get started. But before we do that, let me just back up and say where we've come from. Because last week, we were also in Luke 7, and we saw a story where Jesus was in the city of Capernaum, and a Roman officer, a centurion, over 100 men, he came to Jesus, and he asked him through these Jewish elders to heal his servant. And Jesus was on his way to his house, and the Roman officer said, you know what, Jesus? I understand what authority is all about. I'm a soldier. I understand when my commanding officer says to do it, I do it. If I tell a soldier under my command to, to do something, he does it. So I understand how authority works. If you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And that's what happened. His servant was healed. So that's where we were last week. Now we're going to see an even greater miracle this morning. Before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. Let's say that you were living in Israel in the first century, and you were walking around uh, watching Jesus and what he does. Here's the question. What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is really the Son of God, that he's not just a mere human being? Would it be the miracles that he did, his power over weather, his power to heal the sick, to cast out demons? even power to raise somebody who had previously died? What about that as miracles? Well, how about Jesus' teaching that was so radical, where Jesus said, you've heard it say, love your friends and hate your enemies. But you know what? I'm telling you, you need to love your enemies. You need to practice forgiveness. You need to give them grace the way that God gives you grace. You need to practice generosity. Give, and it shall be given unto you. That was radical teaching. In fact, the, the Bible says over and over that when Jesus finished teaching, it says the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as somebody who had authority. So maybe his teaching would have moved you. How about Jesus' lifestyle? The idea that he was, as, he was tempted to sin in every way that you and I are tempted to sin in this world, and yet it says Jesus never sinned. He lived a morally perfect life. That would be one that would put me over the top. Well, how about this one? What if Jesus himself actually died? What if he even predicted that he was going to die, and yet three days later he would raise from the dead? What if he did die, and then he came back to life? Would that be enough to convince you that Jesus really is the Son of God? We're going to see a story about somebody who came back to life today, and I hope that you... Uh, pay attention as we go through these verses together. We're in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterward, so after Jesus had finished uh, that miracle in Capernaum with the Roman centurion and his servant, Jesus traveled about a day's journey southward from Capernaum to a town called Nain, 
right? It was about six miles southeast of Jesus' own hometown of Nazareth. So we're up there in Galilee, uh, and Jesus is getting ready to walk into a town, right? A town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd went with him. So what happened? Well, as Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. So in other words, Jesus is walking into the town, and a funeral procession is walking out of town. He's, and the person who had died, he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And I want to explain that in a little bit, why that is so significant. And a, lar a large crowd from the town was with her. So you have Jesus and his entourage coming into town of Nain. A large crowd is following this woman and the funeral procession coming out of town. You know, honoring the dead, that was an important Jewish tradition. A funeral procession, they had family members who were following the body. They had the carriers who were carrying the body of the deceased person on a mat. Uh, they were wrapped and carried on a stretcher. They would go through the town and they would be mourning. In fact, oftentimes Jewish families would hire professional mourners to weep and to wail and to beat a drum or play some kind of instrument to gather attention so the whole town would be aware of what was going on. And that was one reason there was a large crowd gathered. Now, bystanders would be expected to join in the procession. Hired mourners would be uh, hired for the job and Here's the other thing, given that this was a widow who had no husband, given that she had also lost her only son, it's not surprising then that a large crowd would come out with her to bury her child. This would have been uh, seen as sympathetic in her plight. Now, however, when family members and community went back home, this is where the woman's real troubles would begin. It wouldn't be during the funeral, it would be after the funeral was over. Because her situation was dire, it was precarious. I told you she had already lost her husband, she was a widow. Now she has this young son, and he was her only son. And so if he died and he was working to support the family, then her means of income just stopped. So after the funeral is likely when this poor woman and her family, if she had other daughters, she would be left destitute. It's likely that if she was beyond childbearing age, then she wouldn't be able to marry again. So unless a relative came to this woman's aid, her future looked very bleak. Yeah, it looked very bleak. That is, until Jesus came along. It says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, I thought that was interesting in a commentary. It says this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke where he calls Jesus the Lord. Maybe angels had called him the Lord before, but it was now people were recognizing Jesus more for who he is. When the Lord saw her, now I want you to just stop and pause and say, how does Jesus feel about a family member of yours who has recently died? How does he express his compassion to somebody like you in that situation? When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. He was filled with compassion and he said to her, don't cry. Another uh, translation says, do not weep. Do not weep. Now, that's, a, that's an easy thing to say, but that's a hard thing to say as well because his words, don't cry, would be kind of hollow and empty unless Jesus 
was able to do something to be able to remove the source of this woman's tears. Fortunately for this grieving mother and widow, Jesus was Lord even over death itself. And he was going to radically change her circumstance in that moment. Jesus has the power, friends, to bring great hope out of the worst tragedies in our lives. So what happened? Then he, Jesus, went up and he touched the bier. That is a mat. That is something that they used to carry uh, persons who had died. Uh, he touched the bier that they were carrying him on and the bear stood still. So he goes up and he touches the, the, the pall-bearing stretcher where this young man is and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And here's the miracle. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Uh, later on in Luke, in chapter 8, Jesus raises a, a young daughter from the dead, from a family. And he says to her, little daughter, I say to you, get up. And it says in that uh, version, it says that her spirit returned. That's how she came back to life. And that reminds me that we human beings... We are composed of at least two elements. The, the one that everybody sees, which is our physical body, but also we're comprised of our spirit, and that is what animates our body. Our spirit is what is created in the image of God. Our spirit is what is going to live on even after our physical body dies. And that's how this young man came back to life. Jesus called him from the dead and his spirit returned to him and he was able to sit up and just so you know he was really alive he began to talk and then Jesus gave him back to his mother now that's an amazing uh, passage of scripture right there because here's another thing a good Jewish careful rabbi would be careful not to want to defile himself by anything that was unclean Touching the mat of a dead person would make a rabbi unclean. Um, but when a deep human need like this, when a person who had died was there, his mother is grieving, the whole town is grieving, the pallbearers are carrying this man to his grave or to the place where they were going to bury him, Jesus intervened and he poured out his compassion. And, you know, it, it was interesting to Jesus. The human need of the moment was greater than whether or not Jesus would be seen as, quote, defiling himself or becoming unclean by touching something or someone who's dead. Because here's the thing with Jesus. He never trifled with ceremonial rules. And here's the thing about Jesus, too. You know, we, we think of these rabbis and these holy men of God that they can't touch or be around anything that is unclean because they don't want anything to defile them and make them unclean. But the, the thing with Jesus is completely different. Jesus is the holy son of God. It's not that anything could ever make him unclean. Whatever Jesus touches, he makes clean. And that's what he did for this man. So Jesus makes clean those things that are unclean who anybody or anyone who manages to get around him. So Jesus calls to the young man here and he says, I say to you, get up. Now, can you imagine if you were one of the pallbearers, say you were one of the four people that were carrying this young man to his burial site, and Jesus stops the procession and he says to the young man, I say to you, get up. Imagine what were you thinking? Jesus, what are you even saying? How could you... Uh, make any difference at all in this situation. 
But then you see that this dead man sits up on the pallet. He begins to talk. I wonder what he said. <laughs> I wonder what he said. I wonder if he had an experience similar to Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days when Jesus raised him from the dead. I wonder what the experience of that little girl was in Luke chapter 8 in the next scene, you know, somewhere down the road in Jesus' ministry when he raised her from the dead. What was their experience of coming back from the dead on the other side? I wonder if she was a little bit sad or he was, this young man, was a little bit sad. Look, I've already gone to the other side and now you're calling me back to this struggle and travail that is this life for so many people here on earth. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man sat up and began to talk. And then look what else it says. Jesus gave him back to his mother. What was the point of bringing this dead man back to life, right? What was the point? Jesus, well, first of all, to demonstrate that Jesus has the power to raise the dead. But secondly, to give this person back to his mother, to restore the relationship. Even today, over and over, Jesus still has the power to, re, to reunite loved ones who are separated by death. Family members and friends in Christ who have lost each other to death. And, if, and friend, I want to say to you, if you have recently lost somebody, I know in our church family and in our extended church family, we've had family members recently who've passed away and they've gone on to be with the Lord because they were followers of Jesus Christ. There's a separation that death brings. But Jesus says to you and to me that that is not the end of the story. Death is not going to have the last word. He's going to raise everybody alive up again from the dead. We're going to be alive to be with the Lord forevermore. And we will be reunited with those who have lost loved ones to death. Last week we saw the Roman officer's request that all Jesus needed to do was say the word and an amazing miracle can take place. And Jesus does an even more amazing, more astounding miracle right here. And the effects of the crowd, it's very interesting, the effects of the crowd were palpable. It says they were all filled with awe. So now the crowd sees this miracle, this dead young man sits up from the pallet, comes back to life. None of them have ever seen anything remotely like this in their entire lives. And they're blown away. I wish there was a translation that said they were blown away, because I like that. They were all filled with awe and praised God. You know, I hope that, that you have that experience when you, whenever you come into the presence of God. Sometimes you're in your, your devotional time, you're reading God's Word, the Bible, you're praying to the Lord. Maybe you're out in creation and you just say, wow, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Look at this beauty and this majesty of creation. It's a reflection of God's glory. God, you are awesome and mighty. You, I hope that you have regular experiences of awe like these people did. And when that happens, you will do what they did. They praise God and look what they said. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea, you think? <laughs> the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea, throughout the land of Israel and the surrounding country. In other words, Jesus' reputation grew even larger and more grandiose uh, because of this astounding miracle. Jesus, not ju Jesus didn't just do right here the ultimate act of compassion. 
right? Jesus also did what no other human being could do. He just called a dead person from the grave. And he gave that young man alive back to his mother. And in Israel's history, there were only two occasions where two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, uh, they're they're easy to confuse. They were uh, two prophets. Elijah came first. He was the guy that was up on the Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and he was challenging King Ahab in his day who had gone off into idolatry, and he said, you know what, king, if Baal is Baal, if your false god is really God, then let's find out. Let's have a spiritual showdown on Mount Carmel, and we'll offer sacrifices, me to the Lord God, Yahweh, and you to your God, Baal, and let's find out who's really God. That's the Elijah that saw the Lord bring down fire from heaven. Elijah was also able to raise, by God's power, certainly not his own, he raised a widow's son from the dead. Elisha, who was the successor to Elijah, and by the way, Elisha prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and he got it. I think there was something like seven miracles attributed to Elijah. There are 14 miracles attributed to Elisha. And one of the great miracles was raising up a Shunammite's daughter from the dead. That town of Shunam, by the way, if you look on a map of Israel and you see where Nain is, Nain is on the south side of this hill. Shunam was just around the corner on the other side of the hill. And I wonder if the crowd at the time wondered, man, this is just like Elisha. This is just like Elisha raising this this girl from the dead. So no wonder they said a great prophet has been raised up among us. It's understandable that the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they gave him the category of prophet. They started calling Jesus a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? It's a person who speaks for God. And that is certainly what Jesus came to do, came to speak for God. Whatever, in fact, he said, if, if you want to see the Father, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words that I bring to you, they are spirit and they are life. And they come, to, they come from God the Father. So Jesus is claiming to be a prophet, but he's also claiming to be much more than a prophet. Jesus carried that title of prophet, by the way, all throughout the rest of his ministry, all the way through. In fact, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, And this was on the last week of his life when he entered into Jerusalem, coming down from the Mount of Olives with the, you know, on Palm Sunday where everybody was saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When he got to the city of Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so the people in Jesus' day, at the very least, they were considering him a prophet. But friends, I want to say something to you. I want to say to you that Jesus wasn't just a great prophet. Please, friends, don't stop short by just concluding that Jesus is a prophet. He's so much more than that. And I want to show you uh, by doing a kind of a compare and contrast with this graphic on the screen. What is a prophet? A prophet is a human being. Jesus is also a human being, but he's also God the Son. That's why there was a miraculous virgin birth, because the Holy Spirit himself allowed Mary to conceive without any relations with another human male. And so he was born the Son of God as well as 100% a human being. 
difference between Jesus and any human prophet. A prophet could do a miracles occasionally. Moses could do a miracle. Remember when he raised his staff and by God's command, the Red Sea parted. Lots of miracles attributed to Moses, to Elijah, to Elisha. Jesus also did a number of miracles constantly. In fact, the, as you read the Gospels over and over and over again, almost wherever Jesus went, he was doing a miracle. He was casting out demons. He was healing the sick. He was feeding thousands of people with a little boy's sack lunch. Anytime a prophet uh, was offered worship by the people, that prophet, if he was really just a prophet, he would reject the worship. But Jesus didn't do that. He not only accepted the worship, he knew what was in people's hearts and he welcomed the worship. Do you remember the story of doubting Thomas, right? Thomas was one of Jesus' apostles. Thomas was not there that first Sunday when Jesus appeared to the rest of them and he had his doubts. He said, look, I'm going to have to see Jesus for myself with my own eyes if I'm going to believe that he's really risen from the dead and he's the son of God. And the next time the apostles were gathered together, Thomas was with them. Jesus appeared to him and Thomas fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus were just a human being, even if he were one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, at that point, when Thomas called Jesus, my Lord and my God, Jesus should have pulled Thomas up from the floor and he should have said, Thomas, don't you ever call me that because there's only one Lord and one God in heaven and I am he and you need to worship that Lord, not me, if Jesus was just a human being. And yet Jesus over and over, he accepted worship. One other thing, Jesus, most of the time when the prophets are teaching God's people, what are they saying to them? Follow the Lord. Whatever the Lord says to do, you need to do that. Jesus, instead of saying, follow the Lord or keep the commandments or listen to the voice of the Lord and read his word and study it and follow it and meditate on it so that you may be sure to do it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Follow me. I am the bread of life. Follow me. I am the resurrection and the life. Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Jesus is not just a human being. He's so much more than that. The story of raising this dead young son of a widow in Nain in a way, it actually illustrates the salvation story of us all. Because in the book of Ephesians, Paul lays out this spiritual state of every single human being, might even be you today. Paul says every human being, before they come to faith in Christ, they are in this spiritual state. In Ephesians, and I encourage you to, to look up in your Bible, read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It'll tell you the whole story in greater detail. Paul says that we, human beings, were dead in our trespasses and sins. And being dead in our sins, we could do nothing to help ourselves. There's not enough religious duties that we can do. There's not enough church services we could attend. There's not enough money we could give to the poor. There's not enough good works that you and I could do to earn our way back into a right relationship with God. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But look what God says. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. 
God made us alive with Christ. That's why we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not uh, of works. It is a gift from God. You can't boast about it because it's all done by God and by Jesus for you. And so how does that work? How does Jesus power over death? You know, he just raised a young man from the death, an astounding miracle. Confounded the people in Israel of his day. Who is this man? He's a great prophet, but is he more than that? Jesus, his power over death, how does that affect you today? How does that affect how you live your life today? The first thing that I want to say that it does for you is Jesus gives you confidence to live with hope and with joy. When you say live with hope, it means tomorrow and the next day and the next day. There, there are better days ahead. Why? Because God is alive. Jesus is on the, at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you and me. And he's going to bring everything to a close when he comes again and establishes his kingdom. Your relationship with God your eternal life, when you put your trust in Christ, that eternal life is secure in God. Look what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing in all creation can separate you. Nobody and no thing. So you can have confidence to live with hope and joy. You are in God's family through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The second thing that it gives you by knowing that Jesus has the power over death, Jesus frees and removes your fear of death. It has been uh, proven over and over. The Bible says it. It's done in surveys more and more. What is it that human beings fear the most? What is it that human beings across the planet more than anything else are afraid of? And you know what the answer is? We are afraid of dying. We're afraid of dying. Not just the, the act of death itself, but because it's a mystery. What is on the other side of death? How can we know that it, it's going to be okay? Well, it takes somebody who has actually died and come back to be able to tell us what's on the other side. Jesus frees you and removes you from your fear of death. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It says, He, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by, the, by His death, He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus broke the power of death. He broke the power of our enemy, Satan, the devil, and he freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's an amazing thing that Jesus has done for us. That is something that deserves your trust, your loyalty, and your faith. And so the question for you today is, are you ready? Are you ready to trust in the one who gave his life for you? Are you ready to trust in the one who who can give you forgiveness and eternal life. At the end of John's Gospel, in chapter 20, we just saw an amazing miracle today. Jesus raised a young man from the dead. He spoke to him, and he came back to life, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
an amazing story of love and compassion, right? That's just one miracle that's mentioned in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, the fourth Gospel, John says, Jesus did many other miracles and signs that are not even written in this book. But the miracles that are written in these Gospels, they are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, He is the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you might have eternal life in His name. If you want to enter into eternal life, if you want to come into a right relationship with God, if today could be the day for your salvation, I invite you to bow your head right now and let's pray to the Lord together. Father, I pray right now in this holy moment that, you were, that your spirit would be, would be working powerfully in all the hearts and the minds of the people that have yet to cross that line of faith in you. Lord, I pray that all God's people are praying for those who have yet to believe, that they would understand who you really are, that you would give them that revelation, Lord, and they would put their trust in you. So, Lord Jesus, today, we believe that you are the Messiah. You are the one sent from God, the anointed one to be the Savior of the world. And Lord, we're asking you today to come into our lives, come into our hearts, and be our Savior, and lead us in the way that we should go. Lord, I pray that for all those who prayed that prayer today, I pray that you'd give them the peace and the assurance that they have eternal life. Like the Apostle John said, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son of God has eternal life. So Lord, we put our trust in you, Jesus. We invite you to come into our lives. We commit ourselves to follow you. Lord, we, we want to be obedient to whatever you're calling us to do. Lord, I know that through your word, you're saying one of the next steps for people to do is to publicly declare their faith in you through baptism, through being baptized and buried with you in their old way of life and be raised up to walk in a new way of life. So Lord, I pray that if there is somebody out there and they have yet to be baptized, Lord, that they would respond on our Facebook Live, that they would tell somebody that they're ready to take the next step of faith in this journey of following you. Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that this amazing compassion that you showed to this widow in the town of Nain is the same compassion that you're showing us right now because your word tells us, Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we exalt you. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.